Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. I'm Dr. Mike Dotson. I am a mobilization missionary with the North American Mission Board. I have the privilege of being stationed here at Southeastern and to serve the campus and, and the students and serve in the Center for Great Commission Studies. And it's a privilege and a pleasure for me to be able to have a conversation with, uh, with these um, three professors about mission trips. It's uh, one of the ways that we fulfill the vision of every classroom being a Great Commission classroom is envisioned in this conversation. It's, it's a great opportunity for professors as well as students to learn to fulfill the Great Commission together no matter what subject. So let me introduce uh, these professors. On the end, we have Dr. Ben, 40 questions Merkel. Um, just have a little, he, you got questions, he's got answers. We have Dr. Steven Sneaks Ecker. And he is, um, uh, Dr. Merkel's professor of New Testament and Greek. Uh, Dr. Ecker is assistant professor of church history and self-proclaimed best-dressed man on campus. So, and we have Dr. Denise, the director O'Donoghue. She's the director of uh, women's ministries, uh, women's studies on campus and assistant professor uh, for ministries to women. So let me get this conversation started with Ben. Uh, ben, what are, what, jump right in, challenge these students. What are two reasons you would give to students and how would you challenge them to go sign up for a trip and take a trip, a mission trip through the Center for Great Commission Studies? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think first I would say you get to see God at work. You know, a lot of times in our lives we get in patterns, we get into routine. And we really, don't, we really don't get pushed. We really don't get challenged. But I find that when I'm on a mission trip, it's, it's really invigorating. I, I, I'm, I'm there with intention. And so um, for me, it's, it's really encouraging to, to be in a place where I'm forced to share my faith. That's why I'm there. Now, I, I need to do that all the time. But sometimes we get in these patterns. We, need just, to be, we just need to be kicked a little bit. Um, and so, first of all, I'd say we, we, you get to see God work in an incredible way. You get challenged. You're relying on God. You, you're crying out to him. You're praying for him to move. You, you came all this way. You want to see him move. Um, and the second thing I would say is uh, you, you get credibility. What I mean by that is if we're, if we're going to be Great Commission Christians and we're going to be in churches encouraging exhorting people, or even in Bible studies, small groups, encouraging them to be Great Commission Christians, and we're not, we've never gone overseas, we've never even taken that step of faith, it's going to be difficult. Um, imagine challenging somebody to tithe. You need to tithe, you need to give to the Lord, but then you, you withhold your money. Now, a couple things can happen. Either you're going to be a hypocrite, or you're just not going to talk about tithing anymore. So in your life, Either if you don't take that step of faith, your, your heart's going to harden if you continue to talk about the Great Commission, or you're just not going to talk about it anymore. That's good. Thanks. 
Stephen, what are, what are a couple of ways that God has used mission trips to transform your life or maybe the way you teach here at Southeastern? Yeah, I think that um, for me, first of all, the thought that we have somehow arrived as professors, we're not still growing, we're, still, uh, we're not still learning, uh, is, really, is really a myth. And so for me to step onto the field with students, um, you gain a new perspective and a new experience. And so I'll just share one of these uh, stories uh, back in 2014, I had a chance to go on a trip that wasn't even supposed to be my trip. I ended up in Edinburgh, Scotland, last minute, working with a, uh, a plant group called 20 Schemes. And I can vividly remember as a part of this ministry, uh, interjecting myself into a conversation with two middle-aged Scotsmen. And I almost immediately began to realize both of these individuals have a mental illness. I mean, there's definitely, I'm not, I'm not a doctor uh, in that sense, so I can't make a diagnosis, but there's definitely something going on here. And in the midst of my conversation with them, if that wasn't bad enough, me sort of dealing with this, literally one of the two gentlemen went to the bathroom on himself. Now, you gotta understand me in this situation, okay? Tretch said he was naughty by nature. I am, I am by nature uh, nervous. And so I'm thinking to myself two things at this point. One, I'm thinking, how can I get out of here? How can I extricate myself from the situation? I'm also thinking to myself, if Dr. Mullins were here right now, he would be passed out. <laughs> and, but in the midst of all of this, I'm trying to process all of this. And just to my mind came Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. But what you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. And it was very stirring in my heart to think that these are image bearers of the king. And even though they have a mental illness, and even though this gentleman's just used to, you know, the restroom on himself, I got to love them. And I've got to get beyond some of my own phobias and my own fears and learn how to love these, these image bearers. And so what it does is these trips begin to transform us. And my thought then shifts from how can I get out of this conversation, how can I extricate myself to how can I care for this person? How can I share with these two gentlemen? How can I love these two gentlemen just by the, the recounting of that verse? Awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. Denise, you recently led uh, or part of leading the trip to London. Uh, we saw a video of, um, and it was a little bit uh, unique in the sense that it was a select group of only married women. So what's the point of that? Why a trip with only married women? That's a great question. Um, we had um, been um, doing a little bit of studying and decided that one of the things that we wanted to make a goal was to improve the success rate of our families that were going on the mission field. One of the things that we discovered is that oftentimes when a family comes back from the mission field prematurely is because the wife is unhappy. It just wasn't what she expected. And so that is where the vision for this trip came from, was how can we expose these future missionary uh, families, these wives, to what life is going to be like on the mission field. We wanted her to be there where she was working alongside a missionary, where she was able to um, uh, walk with her, do the things that she was doing, ask her questions, understand what her challenges were, and to be with a woman that we knew was really flourishing as a wife, as a mom, and as a missionary. 
And we chose the area of London, um, not because it has great shopping or anything like that. I really don't even know because that was my first ever trip to London and I didn't see a single shop. But um, we chose it because the area of Shepherd's Bush, which you saw in the video, is about 80 to 90 percent North Africa and Middle East immigrants. So the majority of the women that we were engaging with there uh, were Muslim women. Uh, there were a few Hindu, but predominantly they were Muslim women. What's, what's, um, uh, what's one specific impact that you saw taking this trip had on the ladies, the ladies who went? Just one? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if I can limit it to one. I'm sorry. Um, one of the things that came out of it was just their realization of the importance of prayer. One of the things that they were told in their training uh, was that prayer is the work. And we've, we've been able to see that since we've been back. We've been hearing reports of how our prayers that we prayed over that place in May have been coming to fruition even throughout the summer. Ben, what's, um, what's one, uh, one way that, uh, one reason you lead mission trips? For myself? Yeah. You personally, um, it's just it's just good for me. I need to, I, I, need, I need that kick in the pants I was talking about. Um, it's it's easy, like like Dr. Ecker said, we get complacent as well. We're not perfect. Um, I, I I need to go on. I don't just lead mission trips because the students need it. I need it. It's good for me. It's good for my soul. It's it's good for my 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 classroom teaching, and. I, I just, I love taking students with me and I love introducing them to Malaysia. Um, I, it's kind of maybe to use an analogy, it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit like, you know, after you just got married, I've been married for almost 22 years now, so it's the, that, uh, that day is fading a little bit, although I got photographs that you will not see. Um, but it's sort of like after you get married, you want to introduce your bride to all your friends. I want to introduce Malaysia to, 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 to my friends. Uh, the, the people, the food, the weather, I love it all. And so it's so good for me just to, to get back and to, to be challenged, to rely on God, to pray, and, and, and just trust in God and what he will do during that time. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's end this conversation this way. Uh, Stephen, why don't you talk, uh, talk to the students about um, uh, one, or, one or two ways that you've seen or you believe mission trips can be formative or transformative in students' lives? I think for me, um, having been on a number of these, one of the things that it helps, I think, for students is to help them. And this, the same thing happens with, in my opinion, both the Great Commission and theology. We can get what I call Great Commission constipation or theological constipation. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. We come here and we learn about theology and we start to love theology and we start to invest ourselves in theology and then we find ourselves at some point with all of this information and all of this passion welled up inside and yet we're not loving our local church. We're not serving in the local church. There's not a tether. There's not an outlet for us to do ministry. And the same thing happens with the Great Commission. You're going to be swimming in the waters of the Great Commission here. We're going to talk about it. You're going to learn about it missiologically in classes. You're going to learn about it in my history classes, for instance. You're going to get a passion and a fervor for the Great Commission. And sometimes there's this disconnect and students just get so excited and enamored. And yet when push comes to shove, you just can't share. 
and you just don't know how to share. And so for me, these mission trips provide a formative opportunity for us to actually put in practice all this passion and all this knowledge that we get on this campus. And so uh, for me, going to Baltimore, for instance, at Crossover last year, we took over 100 students. I saw this firsthand, and I witnessed uh, students who uh, were able to walk alongside Dr. Reed and myself and Dr. Dodson and Dr. Hildreth. And for the first time in years, maybe for the first time in their life, to be able to put in practice what this passion they had inside of them, but to actually be able to voice the conversations. To, and to, to me, the big thing is to learn that I can do this in Baltimore. So with Dr. Reed, to watch the light in, in students' eyes sort of turn on, that I can actually do this just like Dr. Reed is doing, it's very simple. Um, but to then be able to take what I'm doing in Baltimore and realize this transfers to Wake Forest. This transfers to Bangladesh. This transfers to Egypt. It doesn't matter where you go. It's just loving people and taking all of this passion and knowledge and being able to apply it practically speaking in our conversations. Thank you all so much for investing in. Let me encourage you students, if you haven't been on a mission trip, uh, there's a list um, uh, of mission trips coming up this next year. You can sign up online. You can come to the Center for Great Commission Studies to check out those trips. And let me speak to those even who, who may be distance learning students. Uh, there may be an opportunity for you to be involved as well. So don't think just because you're out there in distance learning land that you can't have an opportunity to go on a mission trip. Uh, so please uh, check that out. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing, you, seeing you on a trip uh, this coming year or in years to come. Thanks. 11,489 distinctive people groups in the world today. 6,832 unreached. A population of 3.78 billion people. The challenge is, is very clear. But the opportunities for advancement of the gospel has never been greater. So the issue is, what will we do? Will we sit on the sideline and watch, or will we jump in and say, Lord, we're here, you send us. We are ready to go. New Testament scholars often refer to, and theologians as well, to what is called the golden chain of salvation in Romans chapter 8, where we read those who have been uh, regenerated and sanctified are on their way to glorification, those who have been redeemed on the way to their final conformity to Christ's image. It's a beautiful chain that you have there. But also in Romans, in chapter 10, you have what I call the missionary chain. It's very clear how God intended for his gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. You'll see the word how four times. And following that uh, particular word in each instance, there is a key link to the chain of the missionary mandate. Paul writes, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
And if you reverse the order of those two verses, it's very clear that God has put in place a very simple plan for getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. People are sent, number one. Those who are sent will preach, number two. Those who preach will then have a hearing, number three. And those who hear will then believe. All of them? No, but many of them? Absolutely. But here's the problem. There are places in the world today where you and I could go and we could land by helicopter or we could parachute into that particular geographical area and we could start walking. And we could walk days. We could walk weeks. We could walk for months. We would never see a church and we would never meet a Christian. And here's where theology and missiology come together because if the Bible is true, and we believe that it is, those people, many of whom, 3.78 billion, the vast majority of them, are going to live, they're going to die, and they will go to hell, not because they rejected the gospel, but because they rejected God's revelation that they had in creation and in conscience. God does not hold us responsible for what we don't know, but he does hold us all responsible for what we do know and reject. By the way, that means all of us sitting here this morning have a much greater accountability before God than any of those who are unreached. Yet if the Bible is true and we believe that it is, they are still without excuse and they will die and they will go to hell and they never even one time heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just have to believe that is unacceptable to our God and therefore it should be unacceptable to us as well. Carl H. Henry was right, that wonderful Baptist theologian, when he said the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Now, I'm absolutely convinced that God has brought some of you, many of you here, to be the vessel, the vehicle, the means whereby the gospel will get there in time to those that he wants to save. John Falconer was a wonderful missionary, and John Falconer said this, I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. The light always shines brightest in the darkness. And I believe that God indeed is raising up many of you to be that light that goes and shines brightly in those lands and places of darkness. Again, the whole thing crumbles. The whole thing falters if the first step does not take place. Unless they are sent, there'll be no preaching. And unless they are sent, there'll be no hearing. And unless they are sent, let me just adjust it slightly as we move to close. Unless we go... There'll be no believing because to believe, they have to hear. To hear, they have to have something preached. And unless there's someone going, there'll be no one there to preach to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
We're going to sing as we close this morning, and then uh, over in the Mission Center, uh, we're going to serve a lunch. There's pizza that's going to be made available over there, but also opportunities for you while you're eating and fellowshipping to learn more about possibilities and opportunities for you right here, right now, to be on mission for God. In fact, let, let me say it this way. If you're not on mission for God right now where you are, what makes you think you'd be on mission for him over there? What makes you think that he would reach down and take your life and put you over there when, for the most part, you're not doing too much right now? No, we all need to be on mission wherever it is that God places us because to be a Great Commission Christian is not just for those who go overseas. The calling to be a Great Commission Christian is one that every single one of us needs to hear, needs to answer, and needs to obey. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.